0: back in your place if you would stand we'll get started with our service psalms 32:10 says many sorrows shall be to the wicked but he that trusteth in the lord mercy shall compass him about be glad in the lord rejoice ye righteous and shout for joy all ye that are upright in heart it's good to be back in the lord's house trent would you open us
1: in order please? Man, join me on page 56 when we all get to heaven. <laughs>
0: Not even going to mention it <clears throat> Well, before we get into the message, um, I was kind of sharing with Pastor a little bit, and he figured it'd be good to share with the church family i've been i 've been getting to work obviously alongside Brother Gus Ludkey as he 's been uh, rebuilding here, and um, something that him and I have talked about is that they travel to a lot of churches, it is a ministry um, and they travel to a lot of churches and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but he's just mentioned a lot of churches make them feel like they're just general contractors and they want them to show up, do the work and get out of their hair, get out of the way. And him and I have just been talking and he's been mentioning things, things such as, um, man, they wish they could stay here even longer because they love, they love the church family here and they love how everybody in this room makes them feel. They, they don't feel like you guys are just trying to, like we're trying to get him in here, get, get the work done, get out of here. No, they're, I know there's some that have invited them over to their homes. They've been they've been providing a little bit extra in the way of finances for them. They're just really showing them, hey, we love you. We want to love you as a church family. And uh, even just them going for this week to the missions conference, they were excited about it. It's what the Lord call them to do. But he was all like, man, we can't wait to till we get back. We wish we could, you know, telling me things like, man, we should. They just love being here. So I just I just want to thank you all. I shared it with Pastor, and he thought it'd be a great uh, testimony to share with y'all. Uh, thank you so much for um, Brother Gus and his wife are in the same stage of life You could say that my, my wife and I are in And I'm just blessed and I almost feel bad for them In that um, they don't get to stay here as long as we get to We get to be grounded here in an amazing church family And we're just extremely thankful for all of you And even Brother Gus and his wife uh, can see the same thing So thank you all for that um, We'll be reading out of First Samuel chapter 18 That's where we're going to start our reading today 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is something that I came across in my devotions a couple weeks ago, and the thought just hasn't left, hadn't left my mind for some reason, um, and the Lord made it evident a couple days ago why that was, and maybe, we'll, maybe we can dis- discover that here in a little bit, maybe make that evident for everybody, but 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, let me turn my Bible there, that'd probably be helpful, huh? 1 Samuel chapter 18, and if you found your place, if, and if you're able, if you could please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're reading a very, um, about a very well known man, you could say, but he's not going to be the, the center of our, of our story today. 1 Samuel chapter 18, we start reading verse number 17. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter, Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let mine hand be upon him, let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be the son in law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merib Saul's daughter should be given unto David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Moholothite to wife. Verse twenty says here, and michael saul 's daughter loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Skip down over to uh, uh, let 's see where is it verse number twenty seven says wherefore David, verse twenty seven Wherefore David arose and went he and his men and slew the Philistines two hundred men, and David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full take to the king that he might be the king 's son in law we go, and Saul gave him Michael his daughter to wife. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, that you've given us here to gather this morning. this afternoon now, Lord, and sing praises to you, Lord. And I, I pray and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given me to be able to preach behind this pulpit. And I pray you give me the words to say. I pray you give me liberty, Lord. And I just pray that you use this message according to how you want it to be used. Thank you for everything. you your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me know if, uh, if these stories are familiar to you. Probably familiar to most women, because at some point there were little girls, and maybe there's some teenage girls who were also younger, and maybe some, you know, us boys, us men, we can't say we don't know of these, because we either have sisters or moms or daughters, and we'd be familiar with these. There was a, a young girl, she grew up, this is a story, okay? A young girl grew up with an evil stepmother and stepsisters. They wouldn't let her go to the princess ball, but her fairy godmother made it happen with magic. She danced with the prince and they fell in love. Since she had to leave by midnight, she ran and lost one one slipper. The prince found the slipper and searched for her. After he found her, they were married and lived happily ever after. Cinderella. Cute, right? Here's another one. A frog asked the princess why she was crying. She replied that she had dropped her golden ball into the pond the princess promised anything if he could get it for her. The frog got the ball for her and asked to eat from her plate, live in the castle, and that she be his friend. She agreed, and the frog turned into a prince as he had been under a spell from a witch. They were married and lived happily ver- ever after. That's a little different than the than the typical princess and the frog, right? Uh, here's one: a princess was born, and an old fairy placed a spell that she would prick her she, she would prick her finger on the spindle when she was sixteen and die. The good fairies made another spell so that she would only sleep for a hundred years, and a prince would awaken her. Eventually, the prince came along and gave her a kiss, and she, was, she awoke. They got married and lived happily ever after. Sleeping beauty, right? We all know these, these fairy tales. These are very sweet. And, you know, they were written a long time ago. Disney comes and remakes them. These, these are fairy tales. They're sweet stories. Uh, well, whatever. I'm going to get on that. But anyway... <laughs> I'm going to be telling us all, I'm going to kind of try and guide us through another story. And this wasn't made up, this wasn't written by some man with an imagination, no, this this was a true account found in the Word of God. You could say, it almost starts off like one of these stories that will end up in happily ever after. But spoiler alert, and we'll get there eventually in the sermon, it doesn't end in happily ever after. So, the passage we read, a little background to that, we back up a little bit. We have two very main characters in the book, in the Old Testament, you could say, or that the two very prominent characters. We have the man Saul, King Saul, uh, not in God's will, and we have David, a young man chosen by God. And at this point, David had already gone out and slain the, the famous Goliath, uh, uh, somebody who was threatening the, the nation of Israel. He was cursing God's name. It was as David was out there, he was the only brave young man who, who would stand up to this man who was defying their God. He slew Goliath. We know that story. At some point here, David's um maybe his, his the way that society viewed him culture, he kind of started rising in popularity. His 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 military prowess was also kind of growing. And at some point we know Saul got a little jealous. He didn't like this, this young guy, David. He, he it was, it was a threat to him, to his kingdom, to, to his rule. But they're not the main characters of, of this fairy tale, you could say, of this story. No, the main character of this fairy tale, of this story, is Michael, Saul's daughter. You could say the princess. She's our princess for this story. She's our princess for this fairy tale, Michael. And it was told David back when he slew Goliath that, that whoever killed this, this, this giant, that the, the king would reward him with many riches and, and his family would be free. They wouldn't have to pay taxes. In other words, not only that, but they'd get to marry the king's daughter. And it, it wasn't Michael. Michael wasn't the oldest. There was another elder daughter. And, and, and David did. He, he did what was required to, to, to get these, these rewards. But we see that Saul gave the elder daughter to somebody else. Um, David did push back a little bit. He's like, who am I? I'm just, I'm just a humble nobody. I, I, can't des- I don't deserve to marry your daughter. So, so Saul takes his eldest daughter and get, marries her off to somebody else. And then in verse 20, we get introduced to the main princess, you could say, of our fairy tale. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. She loved David. And I can imagine, uh, she, she's the princess. Um, you know, her father Saul, she probably, I'm just imagining, living in some sort of castle and she's just a princess dreaming of love, right? Well, what young girl doesn't? And she can't wait for maybe at first some her knight in shining armor, some prince to come sweep her off her feet, but man, she starts noticing there's a young man who's courageous and he's brave. Maybe he wasn't that bad looking. And he, he, she sees him coming around the, the, where she lives a little more and more. and Maybe she's sitting out her window and sees David walking in after slaying Goliath or maybe another, another military victory. And she's like, wow, who is that? She, she starts hearing of this, of this young boy, David. He was a nobody. He wasn't royalty. He, he, he was a son of Jesse. Who, who is this David? He catches her eye. She starts falling in love with him. She's just a young princess fall in love with this boy. You could say, the pauper? the he's not coming from royalty but our marriage could never be i'm just i'm just a poor pauper boy you know maybe i'm I'm thinking of that scenario in my head here's 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 michael the princess The, the daughter of saul falls in love with a young man david seems god's hand is upon this young man and she's in love with him and maybe she she hears that man david did what would be required for him to marry my eldest my older sister Oh man, the heartbreak! My older sister to be married to this to the to the man of my dreams, but then man, she rejoices in her heart. Saul gave her away to another man. There's probably still hope. There's probably still hope. But again, we still have these two prominent characters, Saul and David. Saul, being jealous of David, starts to come up with a plan to get rid of this this nuisance, this this this, per, this man who's threatening his kingdom, his rule. And, and his own selfish jealousy leads him to, to use, he hears about Michael being in love with David and says, you know what, I can use that. If I can get them married together, maybe she'll be, maybe she can cause him to stumble. Maybe, maybe I can use her love for him a, a, as a way to finally dispose of this young man, David. And he, and, and he says, okay, he tells David, why don't you become my son-in-law, David. That'd be great. And Saul even tells his servants, why don't you go butter David up and tell him how great it'd be if you became the king's son-in-law and, and tell him how awesome that would be. Remember, David was a humble man. He didn't think he was worthy of marrying the daughter of the king, of marrying a princess. And, 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 and Saul tells his servants, why don't you go tell David, I don't want a dowry money. You know, that, that's how they would, that's how, that's how the exchanges would go back then for, for a wife. You pay the dad a dowry, but he said, I don't want money. What I want is, I want you to go kill 100 Philistines. And, and, and the servants go and tell David this, and David says, you know what? I like, the, I like the sound of that. So David goes in his military mighty, he kills 100 Philistines. You know what? Go the extra mile, he kills an extra 100. And Michael's probably tooling her hair, thinking, oh, they rode David off, he's going to go kill 100 Philistines for me, and he comes back with 200 dead. And he's like, oh, David did all that for me. She's in love with this man. The princess and the boy who didn't come for royalty could actually be happening. And we see that Saul had sent David to the Philistines hoping that they would kill him, but David prevailed. As David comes rushing back, probably I'm imagining a white horse with a banner and there's music playing and his hair is blowing in the wind and Michael is out looking at the window seeing him. She's like, oh, David, there he comes. He's here to sweep me off my feet. I'm going to finally marry the man of my dreams. And Saul, seeing that his plan failed, has no choice but to say, Well, here's, your, here's my daughter. Here's your new wife. Michael, the man of her dreams, is now her husband. Amazing. What a fairy tale, am I right? That's not where the story ends, though. We see that Saul's jealousy keeps on growing more and more. In fact, to the point that he tries to make a David shish kebab. And as David's in the court with him, he throws this javelin to try and, and, and kill David. Pin him to the wall, but David kind of dodges out of the way because he's this heroic, awesome guy. Remember, he's like an action hero in my eyes. Um, and he dodges out of the way, barely survives, he escapes. And he gets home, and it gets told to Michael that Saul's trying to kill your husband. And Michael, she loves David. That, that's the man of her dreams. That's her husband. She loves him. She helps him escape. He, he, she lowers him down the window, and yes, she doesn't understand why her dad is so jealous against David. I, that's my husband. I love him. I'm going to help him escape. Maybe I shouldn't defy my, my dad. He's a king after all. But I just love David so much. I'm going to help my husband escape. She lowers him down the window, and she thinks, of, I need to buy him some time. So, she, it says in the, in the Word of God, it says that she, she, put, she put an image in the bed, and, uh, and she put like a, like, a goat, like a goat hair to make it look like David was in bed. So when the servants that Saul had sent came knocking on the door saying, hey, where's your husband? We're here to see King David. She says, oh, he's in bed, he's sick, and I can just imagine her opening the door a little bit, and they see the bed, and there's like a little bit of a lump, you know, kind of like whenever you're, and it happened all the time in movies, whenever kids uh, were trying to sneak out or something, they'd put pillows in the bed and put it with a blanket, so that way it looks like they were in bed, but they really weren't. That's what I'm imagining in the situation. She's trying to buy David time. She's helping him escape. She knows she probably probably shouldn't be doing that. Her dad, Saul, is a jealous king, but she just loves him. Her love for him drove her to, to help her husband escape. That's the first chapter you could say of this fairy tale, of this of this love story. What was impossible, the princess and a common boy somehow get married. And and her 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 dad gives her the man of her dreams. She's married to King David, but her dad's jealousy drives them apart from each other. It drives him to be on the run for many years from King Saul. You could say, Her husband, her love was taken away from her. Oh, that's sad. Maybe she's thinking, Will I ever see my husband again? How is this all going to pan out? This is terrible. But the love of my life, King David, I loved my husband. And now he's on the run from my dad who wants to kill him. This is terrible. You could say, this is a tragedy. That would be horrible. That that wouldn't be easy to deal with. I feel bad for Michael. As we fast forward a couple years, there's there's this big, again, the two main characters, Saul and David. Saul keeps on chasing after David. David's on the run. I say many years passed before we get to our next chapter of Michael. Many years passed. Our next chapter Saul is off the scene. He passed away. He's dead. David is sort of coming, coming to the place where God has called him to be the, the next king. He's kind of gaining that power, he's gaining the favor of the people. Saul's dead. David's gaining power. Another political issue, you could say, there was a lot of politics in the, in, in the Old Testament. Another political issue between a man named Abner, which we went into this, and he, uh, he got called out for doing something by a man named um, um, ish Ish-bosheth, and Abner didn't like it, so he says, you know what, I'm going to go help King David. So he goes to King David, and King David says, okay, I'll help you on one condition. The wife that Saul gave to me, I want her back. And the Bible tells us, this next chapter in Michael's life, that at this point, many years had passed, and Saul had taken Michael, because Saul was a king, he could do whatever he wanted, and nobody would dare oppose Saul. He had taken Michael and given her to another man to be his wife. David was on the run. Saul hated David. And maybe he even did it, hoping that David would hear about it, and he'd be angry about it. And David says, I want my wife Michael back. I want the daughter of Saul, who was given to me as wife, I want, my, I want my wife back. So Abner goes with, 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 with the servants, and they, and they go and take Michael back. and in a, in a very, I just, I'm, again, we're trying to go through the story through the eyes of Michael. Michael, her, her husband is on the run because of her dad. Many years pass, maybe after a few years, her dad says, hey, here's your new husband. I'm giving you to him. And I'm sure Saul gave her to this new husband because he was hoping to get something out of that as well, his own selfish desires. So he uses Michael and gives it to another man. And here she is. The love of my life is gone. I had to help him escape from my dad because my dad's trying to kill him. And now my dad says, I'm supposed to be married to this new man. And I'm sure she probably missed David. She You don't get over somebody like that um, over a couple of days. I'm sure she struggled with that for a long time. But maybe, maybe Michael's saying, you know what? This man loves me. This is my new husband. I'm going to devote myself to this man. And like I said, many years have passed at this point. So her and this new husband, and I'm forgetting his name, it's in the notes somewhere, but they, they started to build a life together. Obviously, that's, that's my husband. And, and she's building a new life with this new man. And all of a sudden, Saul's off the scene, and David's rising to power, and Abner shows up. I can just hear maybe working in the kitchen, or I don't, I don't know what they do back then. I, I, I couldn't, I, I can't, I don't have that great of imagination. But she's doing what she's obviously doing, and she sees Abner with the band, band of men, and they come, and they say, hey... And she says, yes. Uh, she said, hey, remember David, your first husband? We're going to take you back to him. He wants you back. Can you imagine? Her life is flipped over again. First, she's taken from her first husband. She builds a life with her new husband. David comes back and says, I want, you, I want you back. They come and take her back to give her back to David. And I would like to say, I think, I would like to say that David still loved her, but... Um, I don't know how true that is. I, I really want to say that maybe it was more for, for a political statement that David was trying to make, that, look, I'm rising to power now. All the things that Saul had control over are under my control now. And you say, what makes you say that? Well, if you remember, um, God never actually uh, God never told the kings it was okay for them to marry multiple wives. But while David was out running away from Saul, it says that he married Abigail and he married Ahinoam. Two other women he took for him as their wives. So yeah, you could say maybe David's still loved her. That's why, he, that's why he wanted her back. But if that was so, then why would he take these other two wives with him, right? Why would he marry two new women? No, I really, I really think, and the Bible doesn't say it specifically, but I think that David was trying to make more of a, of a political statement, saying, I'm taking back the things from Saul that Saul took from me. I'm in control now. And he sends Abner and his band of men. They take Michael away again from her new husband, her new life, and they take her back to David. And can you imagine the heart, the mind, what's going on inside of Michael's uh, heart and mind? as She's saying, my life was turned around the first time. My life is being turned upside down again. What's going to happen? Maybe she's thinking to herself, man, maybe at least I'll get to be with my first husband once again. Yeah, maybe she finds solace in that, only to get there to the house. And David says, here are my two new wives. You have to share the love with me with these two new wives, and I know David is referred to as the Bible as a man after God's own heart. But everybody makes mistakes, and I I hope that you don't take me as a, a condemning David because it's going to sound like that all throughout the message. But David wasn't perfect; he was a human being just like the rest of us, and he messed up. And Michael turned her life upside. Got, her life was turned upside down twice. She, she shows up back to be David's wife again, kind of in a political statement, and she actually shared the attention and love of David with two other women and some concubines. Are you kidding me? Imagine the heartbreak. Wow. You could say, that's tragedy. That's tragic. This isn't panning out to be your typical fairy tale. I was supposed to be a prince, princess, married to a, to a courageous white knight. He went and killed 200 Philistines for me. We were supposed to live happily ever after. What's going on? This is a, this is a tragedy. It's sad. It's a little depressing. It is. And then we get to the next chapter. And this is, this is the part that I had, I had read in my devotions that really stuck out to me and it will be in Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel, Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> in the beginning of the chapter, chapter 6, David knows, he, 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 he wants to make things right, so he wants to bring the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem. And in the beginning, we won't read that. He, he does it the wrong way. Sadly, it cost a man his life because they were carrying it by a cart. They were supposed to be carrying it with the priest, but we won't get into that right now. David corrects his mistakes, and, and they're finally getting the ark back to Jerusalem, back to the tabernacle where it belongs. Yes, David's making things right. This is awesome. The ark of God, the ark of the covenant, is finally back among the covenant people, right where it belongs. And as David's bringing the ark up, it says in our passage here, Second um, Samuel chapter 6, it says in verse 12. Um, uh, let me see here. Make sure I got the right one. Yep. Second Samuel chapter, chapter 6, verse 12. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Dene- Obe- anyway, and all, the, and all that pertaineth to him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark from God. The ark of God from the house of that guy again into the city of David with gladness. And it was so, here we go, that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Here we go, verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, we'll pause there for a little bit. You see, David, they're bringing back the ark, and everybody's shouting. It says David's dancing with all his might, and I'm not... Okay, a lot of people read into the whole dancing part. I would just say this. It's not the dancing as we know it nowadays. It was more of a, I'm so joyous and excited. He's jumping around, flailing around in worship to God. It's rejoicing. It's not the sensual dancing that we think of nowadays, okay? God's not condoning that kind of dancing in public like that. No, David is so excited that the Ark of God is finally back in Jerusalem where it belongs that he and the rest of the people following in suit, he's shouting and dancing and they're shouting and playing trumpets and it seems like the whole city is having a giant festival, a giant party. Yes, the Ark of God is finally back among the people. Yes, he's dancing around. Here's another chapter of this fairy tale with Michael. It says, verse 16, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Here we go. And she despised him in her heart. Here we have Princess Michael, at one point, was staring out that window, dreaming that she could maybe one day marry this this young, courageous man, David. Now she's looking out that window, seeing King David rejoicing for the ark of the Lord, And she despises him. She hates him. She has a disdain for him in her heart. Sad. Verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings And peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering, burnt offerings, and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. So they take the ark, they put it in the tabernacle, and and David makes offerings and he blesses the people. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women, as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh. They're Baptists, they're eating here, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to their house. The whole city just had this huge party, this huge festival, because the ark of God was finally back. And amongst all this, we see Michael sitting, looking out a window, despising her husband. She's mad at him. She hates him. So David, they put the ark where it belongs, and it says here, the next verse, verse 20, Then David returned to bless his household. I can just imagine David's just kind of waving the people goodbye, and he's walking up to his house. He's like, this is awesome. This is revival. This is the Ark of the Covenant is back where it belongs. I'm going to go in and bless my household. And as he's opening the door, Michael comes out, and she's not happy. We know we, the Bible tells us that she hated David. She despised him, and she walks out, and she's standing there like this. And David's David's walking in. He's like, Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. And he turns around. He's like, And she's standing there like this. And here we see what she tells him. It says, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul. Notice that it doesn't refer to Michael as the wife of David. It refers to Michael as the daughter of Saul. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants. Um, how glorious was the sorry, I missed today. Who uncovered himself today in the eyes of, ha- of the handmaids and his servants, As one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. You can kind of say, you know what a party pooper is? Right? It was this giant party goes in. David goes in to bless his household. And Michael just has to reign all over his parade. And let me translate what she's saying here. Let me try my best, okay? Man, you really showed a lot of glory today, king of Israel. How you uncovered yourself in front of the damsels. How you were dressed and acting like one of these common people. Yeah. That's really glorious for a king. Awesome. She's talking down to David. She's raining down on his parade. She's party pooping. (laughs) That's what she's doing. And we see David's response. And David said unto Michael, Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. And, I, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. David says, after Michael just told him, tore him down with her words, he says, Michael, I did it before God. Now, this is where David has a little bit of sass. He's a little sassy back as well. And he says, you know, God, who chose me over your dad and put me to reign over your dad, I'm going to keep on serving him. Maybe he could have been nicer about that, but he was in the right. right. He was worshiping, he was rejoicing because of what the Lord had done in their lives. He was rejoicing because the ark of God was back where it was supposed to be and God was instating Dan- David as the king where he belonged. And David says, if you think that was bad, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to make myself even lower before the eyes of God. David was, he, he wanted to rejoice. He, wanted to be so, he was so passionate about this. He said, Michael, I don't care. I'm doing it before the eyes of God. Verse 23 says, Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Now, I can't find a verse that says that God cursed her, that God shot up her womb, because that's possible. It could also just be the fact that maybe this drew them apart from each other, that David wanted nothing to do with her, and because of that, they never had children again. Either way, it says Michael... Never had children until the day of her death. So, here we go. Started off as a fairy tale. A perfect start. Princess and the pauper. A marriage that could never be. But yet, she marries the boy David. She loves him. Helps him escape her really mean dad. Her jealous father. Her world gets turned upside down when they're separated, but she's given to another man. She says, well... She starts making a life with this new husband. David, in a, in a, in a, uh, while he was running away from Saul, marries two other women, and, and it maybe in a political statement, says, I want Michael back. Michael has to come back and share the attention and love between other women and, and David. And then, as David's bringing up the Ark of the Covenant, a great party, a great festival, a great rejoicing is made because the Ark of the Covenant is back where it belongs. Everybody in the city was rejoicing except one person, except Michael. And yeah, it was tragic what happened with David when she was younger. It was a tragedy. The story is kind of depressing. And yeah, it was tragic that she was given to a new man. And it was tragic again that her new life was also turned upside down when David said, I want you back. And it was really tragic that she got home. And she, has, she realized, man, my husband has two other wives and concubines. This is great. That's tragic. That's tragedy. That's sad. Depressing. This isn't a typical fairy tale that we read nowadays, right? But I, wouldn't, I don't think that's the main tragedy of this whole account. I think the main tragedy was what we, read off, what we read about in chapter 6. I think the main tragedy was this. That yes, a lot of stuff happened to Michael. But man i wish there was a word i could i could think of that described the state that michael was in in chapter 6 of second samuel i think the word i'm thinking of is maybe bitter angry i think bitter would be a good word to describe her she was a bitter queen at this point so the real tragedy is this while the ark of the covenant was being brought back into jerusalem where it belongs cuz remember the ark of the covenant represented the literal presence of god And the Ark of the Covenant brought blessings to whoever, to the nation of Israel. The Ark of God was literally the presence, was a picture of the presence of God in their lives. And literally, they were bringing back the very presence of God into their nation once again. You could say this, it was a revival going on. And everybody was into it except for one person, Michael. And it may be that the tragedies she had gone through in her life, and yes, they were tragic, and I'm not trying to downplay those. But I think those tragedies made her a bitter person. And that bitterness she had in her heart, because that's evident in the way she she hated David, that bitterness in her heart blinded her to the presence of God in Jerusalem again. That bitterness in her heart that grew in her heart from the tragedies of her life blinded her to the presence of God. She couldn't rejoice with everybody else. Why? Because she was too focused on the tragedy of her life and not on the presence of God. Not on the ark of God being back in Jerusalem among this covenant people. Now, I do want to kind of go off a little bit here and say this. There's a lesson we can learn from from David as well, okay? We just came off from a revival, Brother Wells, and it happens throughout the year many times. People get fired up. As you walk with God, God convicts you and says, you know what, I want to bring revival into your life. And that's what David was experiencing. They were experiencing revival. And maybe I can apply it this way, as, as far as maybe we can learn something from David is, you know what, there's going to be Michaels in your life that when you're experiencing great revival and you're rejoicing and you're wanting to dance for the Lord, you're trying to do great things for Him, God has lit a new flame in your heart again to serve Him and to worship Him. There's going to be a Michael, and it could be your wife, it could be your husband, it could be your parents, it could be your kids, family members, friends, it could be people sitting across the pew from you that come and say, oh yeah, yeah, that, that what a glorious king. They come and reign all over your parade. But just like David... I say don't let the Michaels in your life tear you down. Don't let them stop you from experiencing revival in your life and what God's doing in your heart. Don't let the Michaels in your life uh, water all over your prey. Don't let them keep you from experiencing the revival that God's brought in your life. And I want to encourage those that maybe God spoke to you this past revival or maybe in your Bible reading, whatever it is, that there's going to be Michaels in your life that's inevitable, but don't let those Michaels tear you down rather be like David and say yes you know I'm doing it before God it's not for you it's not for everybody else before God and I want to encourage us in that way but really what really stuck out to me was Michael and, and how the, the tragedy in her life led her to be to, to grow a bitter spirit and that bitterness led her to a place where she could no longer see the presence of God because she was blinded by the tragedy and bitterness in her life and as a challenge, I guess I want to say this. Maybe be careful not to become like Michael. That while there's revival, you could say the ark, the presence of God is, is coming back into the camp and everybody's shouting, everybody's, everybody's rejoicing. Nobody's everybody's actually dancing, but spirit, you know, spiritually, everybody's dancing, rejoicing for the Lord. It could be that maybe there's somebody in this room that the bitterness, the tragedy that they face in life is making them blind to the presence of God, to what God's doing in their family, in their marriage in their church. And I think it'd be a great lesson to learn from Michael that, yes, her life wasn't a fairy tale. It was pretty terrible. It was pretty depressing. But that's no excuse for allowing those things to make her bitter and that she couldn't focus on the fact that God was back in Jerusalem, that the Ark of the Covenant, that the presence of God was back where it was supposed to be. Michael, because of her bitterness lives the rest of her life, and, you know, it says that she couldn't have kids for the rest of, uh, she didn't have, she didn't bear no child until the day of her death. And, you know, whether whatever the reason be for that, it's almost like a picture, you could say, of her spiritual barrenness. That bitterness led her to be spiritually barren for the rest of her life. Michael, because of her bitterness, lived lived the rest of her life in spiritual barrenness. we see that she could not only just see, she could not see past her bitterness and experience the presence of God, which would have led her to rejoice with the people and her husband. You see, she had no more children. It was a picture of a spiritual barrenness. And like I said earlier, I don't want to downplay what happened in Michael's life, and I don't want to downplay what happens in people's lives. There are genuine tragedies, and they hurt everybody in different ways. And those are 100%, valid those are 100% true. Every single person is going to face tragedy. But if we're not careful, we allow those tragedies to start planting roots of bitterness, you could say, in our heart. And eventually that bitterness grows to when we look out the window and we see people rejoicing and dancing for the Lord, we hate them. And we're blinded to the presence of God because of the bitterness that grew in our heart. We've allowed that bitterness to take over so much that we can't see God anymore, that we can't see revival anymore, that we can't see God doing great things in the life of others anymore. We just hate them. And and, and we can learn some good things from Michael, I think, in fact, you could say, How do I know if, if I'm at the place where Michael was at? Well, let's look at some things, shall we? Um, it says in verse number 16: as, as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael saw his daughter look through a window and saw King David leaping, and she despised him in her heart. Here's a good sign that you're spiritually, you could say that you're, you're bitter and you're, you're spiritually blind to the things of God, that maybe the bitterness is blinding you from God's presence: is this, man, you hate it when you see other people rejoicing for the Lord. It angers you and you might never say it out loud and you might say amen as well and you might sing the songs just as well. But in your heart, you're struggling because you hate seeing other people rejoicing and serving God with their lives. You feel that tightness in your chest whenever you see that. That's the Michael syndrome. What's another thing? Well, in verse 20, it says, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And we see this exchange between Michael and David. And in the exchange, she kind of calls him like, like he was exposing himself in a way he shouldn't. And that's not true at all, because David was modest. We can read into the stuff, but David was modestly covered the whole time. He never did anything that was inappropriate. But maybe Michael, in her bitterness, in her anger, exaggerated a little bit. Lied a little bit. Maybe her bitterness clotted her judgment and she just started spouting off the first thing that came to her mind and she tore David down. You say, how do do I know if I'm being like Michael? How do I know if the bitterness has blinded me to to revival from God? Well, do you like tearing others down? Maybe not to their face, but could you imagine? Can you you, you talk bad about somebody who just sang a special? That was terrible. Oh, man. It's true because I've done it in the past. Every single one of us is susceptible to that. Bitterness can begin to blind us from the revival of God. Not only do they anger you, you you tear people down with your words. Maybe even this, simple as this. Everybody was dancing. Everybody was rejoicing. Everybody but Michael. And I I dare to say this. I don't think David told Michael, you stay here. You can't come to this party. No. Her bitterness kept her from going. And there's revival going on at church. And there's soul winning. And there's activities. And there's get-togethers. And there's potlucks. And you look from your window and exclude yourself because of your bitterness and you say, oh, I can't stand that. Nobody told you not to come. No, it's the bitterness that's blinded you to the presence of God in the camp. It's the bitterness that's blinded you to the presence of God at Shawnee Mission Baptist Temple. It's the bitterness in your life that's blinded you to the presence of God in your family, in your marriage. It's evident, right? It happens to every single one one of us if we're not careful. And maybe some more practical examples. This person surrenders their life to God again. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Whatever. Good luck. Hmm. I don't think that's the right attitude to have, is it? Yeah, they're all doing that, but I don't want to be a part of that. They're annoying. Hmm. I wonder bro I brought that on. If we're not careful, now, again, I, I, I want to be very careful with this. I'm not meaning to downplay the tragedies that happen in everybody's lives. Those 100% are, are there and they hurt. But if we're not careful, we allow those tragedies to plant those roots of bitterness in our life, and to lead us to a place where we can no longer see the presence of God in our lives, the presence of God at church, the presence of God in our families, and all we see is a tragedy and the bitterness, and we're angry, and we exclude ourselves from people, but rather God's wanting us to join in on the rejoicing, to join in on the revival, to be like David. That was just something the Lord spoke to me, and... Um, I pray it would be a blessing to somebody because if we're not careful, every single one of us can be susceptible to the Michael syndrome. And yes, it, didn't, it started off as a fairy tale. It didn't end that way. And, and maybe it's not safe in every negative story of the Bible to think, oh, what if this wouldn't have happened? But just think with me, what if Michael would have had a different attitude at this point? Could it have ended, that fairy tale ending once again? Or was it her bitterness that left the story where it was? She gets mentioned a few more, one more time, but it also isn't a good account. It's just referencing to the fact that David had to take her sons, That she, um, I don't know if they were her sons, that she helped raise them, and they were given to the Gibeonites, because Saul had trespassed the, the covenant he made with them, and they were given to the Gibeonites as an offering, and they killed them. The next, that's the only other time Michael is mentioned. Michael didn't have a happily ever after. And I don't think it was because of the tragedies. I think it was because the bitterness in her life blinded her from the presence of God in Jerusalem. So just a little bit of encouragement. Tragedies are real and they do happen. But don't let those tragedies grow bitterness in your heart to the point that you can't see the presence of God anymore. It's a dangerous place to be. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for the chance that You've given me, Lord, to present this truth, Lord, and I thank you for the chance that we get together here as a church family. And I, I pray, Lord, that you help guard our hearts, God, against these roots of bitterness. And it seems to be the theme you were dealing with all day today, God. I pray you help us to learn from the story of Michael here, that the dangers of allowing the, the hard times we go through in life, the tragedies to start planting bitterness in our life, and we get to the point where we no longer see your presence anymore. Just pray you, you deal with hearts, Lord. Convict people who need conviction and encourage those who are already rejoicing with you. Encourage them to keep on going, Lord. In your enemy, pray, Amen. You can stand as Ms. Metzinger's get a play and just um, ask the Lord to reveal maybe there's roots of bitterness in your heart that are sprouting up. Maybe you didn't know they were there. And if, if you can say that you're experiencing, just like David, revival and you're rejoicing. then I encourage you, don't let the Michaels tear you down. In fact, just remember this, you're doing it for the Lord. But if you are a Michael, if you can look at your life and and God reveals to you, you have the Michael syndrome. Let me tell you, he's still present. In spite of these tragedies in your life, God's still wanting to do things with you. God's still wanting to do things in your life. So don't let the bitterness blind you to his presence. May you look past the tragedy and look on his presence. have some announcements and then we'll go ahead and be this. We uh we had the revival already so we don't have to announce that but that was a blessing and like pastor says thank you all who, to to all those who were faithful and we will be starting teen class this Wednesday finally October 4th. I know we've been pushing that off I think for about a month but it's all starting to calm down so we're thankful for that. Um outreach October 7th. Mark your calendars for that. We have a ladies meeting on October 19th, there'll be details to come. And then we do have the all nighter, Pray For Me, on Friday, October 27th. Uh, there'll be no cost. You can drop your kids off at 8 p.m. and ask, you can bring, pick them up by 8 a.m. If you want to bring them up, if you want to pick them up like at 7, I, I can be okay with that. That's okay. I'm just saying by 8 a.m., try to be there to pick up your kids, that I'm trying to say there. Um, and then there'll be a teen fundraiser at the end of the month, and we'll get those details out um, the closer we get to that. Um, Brother Newton, you go ahead and pray for us and dismiss us.